Code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from, well, BlackPearlMinute.com. There you go. Thanks for joining us for Minute 34 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Our Pirates of the Caribbean Minute listener contest is underway, and we have a great Pirates of the Caribbean prize package to say thanks, and we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word. Give us a share on Facebook, actually. More details to follow at the end of the show, so stick around, and we're going to have some fun with that. Hopefully you are, too. In the previous minute, pirates breached the gates of the Swan Mansion, played the pirate version of Knock Knock Who's There, which, by the way, resulted in a bullet to the face of our dear, ever the professional butler. Word of warning, someone knocks on your door and says, Pirate, best to leave that door closed. <laughs> That'd probably be the best idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a no-brainer, really. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you are part of the Norrington clan, then you do have that blind spot at least somewhere in, in your personality. So hopefully it doesn't have to do with doors and knocking like our poor butler here. I heard it skips a generation, so you might be lucky. <laughs> Once inside the house, Elizabeth began wielding the bed warmer of hate as she smacked Pintel squarely on the face and scrambled his brains. And after getting fed up with Rigetti's taunting and barking, released the trap which dumps the hot coals on him as he yells, No, no! Minute 34 begins with Rigetti finishing his hot coal-induced line by saying, It's hot, I'm burning, as Elizabeth makes a break for it. Pintel gathers his composure and tells Rigetti to come on, prompting them to give chase. Chaos ensues in the mansion foyer. Estrella goes screaming past the butler's corpse and exits the house, while Pintel and Rigetti surround Elizabeth on the grand staircase, complete with growls. The minute ends with Pintel and Rigetti looking for Elizabeth in the dining room. Pintel saying, come on, and we promise we won't hurt you. He proceeds to say, we will find you, Poppet, as Elizabeth peers silently from the crack in the china closet doors. You know, I thought we could start things off with a little swashbuckler icebreaker, actually, unless you have something. I actually, you said complete with growls? Yeah. He was growling? Well, they were. They're all... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not they didn't have a dog. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you know, they jump on the stairs, Arr. <laughs> you know, pirates do err as as captain of our pirate words and phrase of the week. You think you might be able to know that. Me we, thinks, me thinks. Me thinks you might know that. We may, folks, have an opening for our pirate word of the week host. She's already dropping the ball. And it hasn't even been one week. It was just yesterday. I actually used R. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So I thought we could start things off with a little swashbuckler icebreaker, something to ease us into the show, unless you have something. No, that sounds like a great idea. Okay, I believe it was Jay Wolpert, and he's one of the writers. He's actually credited with the screen story here, and he was talking about swashbuckler movies. He said there are, or at least he says, three categories of swashbucklers. The first is what he calls dark at the bottom of the dungeon. And so he sees these as movies that are, well, I guess dark, dark in nature or plot derived, and center around a dark menace, something serious. It's this 
serious swashbuckler movies like Count of Monte Cristo, where the audience is heavily invested in the characters or the plight of the characters. Something that really gets you in, that there's been a terrible wrong or there's some kind of mm. something so dark that you just are really rooting for this person to, to really make. And you're so invested in the character that you just, you, you don't want to see any harm come to them. You really get wrapped up in it. That is what he calls dark at bottom of a dungeon. Then we have the next, which is a stylish adventure. And it's more fun than the predecessor for sure. And this one might have audiences who are not necessarily as involved or quite involved with the characters. You know, we may not be living or dying with the characters, so to speak, but we are still involved. And these movies tend to be something more like, say, Mask of Zorro or maybe the 1948 Three Musketeers movie. And then we have the last category, which is a rollicking high adventure. And these include our movie here, which is Pirates of the Caribbean. In case you didn't know where you were, we're at Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean Minute. Go back to the show opening. You'll, you'll, you'll catch up. Actually, that was just for Heather because she was completely lost of where we were. I, thought we I would were... never demean the audience. I thought we were talking about a Count of Monte Cristo. Ooh, I can't even say it. Count of Monte Cristo. He thought I said Crispo or Crisco. <laughs> Heather's cooking over there. But in this rollicking high adventure, you know, we don't desperately care about the characters. You know, we're involved mostly with the good time and we're busy with the spectacle. And that's like the special effects, swinging, crazy big stunts and all that good fun stuff. But there was obviously before this movie's by minute took off. So as this genre or Pirates of the Caribbean minute has now exploded, you know, we're making people care about the characters. Just one minute at a time. So (laughs) So I thought it was pretty interesting that he really classified those into almost like how dark and how much you care about the characters and then, you know, how much special effects are are really where you are in that. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I care about these characters. When you think about, say, Count of Monte Cristo, as we just mentioned, and you really think about Edmond Dante's. You did not. You wanted this guy to succeed no matter what, just from all the hell that he was. He was. Yeah. He was in. Uh, he was in the prison. I can't even think of the prison name. What the heck? What's the name of the prison? <laughs> Where was he? I want to say Florida Lease for some reason. I don't know why That's I want to say it. that. No kidding. Man, I can't believe I can't think of that. Anyways, he's he's just been so downtrodden and so beat down that you just really want to see, see him succeed. You're so invested in his character and the revenge and him succeeding. Whereas, for instance, like these particular characters, we're not necessarily so invested to that extent. You know, we're really still part of the good times. We're yeah. seeing... Jack swing away as an escape or Elizabeth fall off a cliff. You know, we're not really at that point yet, I don't think. And so I think there is a difference there. Man, I I think that prison will come to me at some point. I hope so. Yeah, I just can't. Oh, Chateau d'If. There we go. Actually, I (laughs) cheated. I looked it up. I could not remember for the life of me. I was like, I stuck on Fleur de Lis for some reason. And that's definitely, well, you'd rather be in a Fleur de Lis if that's even possible than Chateau d'If in in that time period for sure. But I say, let's get on with our rollicking high adventure here. We talked quite a bit about Pintel and Rigetti yesterday. So I don't, I know Heather does like to rehash all this stuff. But I do find it interesting that much like Jack Sparrow, we have this comedic side and this adept and serious side. And what I'm saying is, is that we have Jack Sparrow, who's aloof sometimes, you know, he's, he's this, has his mannerisms. Yet then when things get serious, he buckles down and he really has a plan in place. And you see that he's really been observing things and is really trying to make a grand exit or can actually do what he says he's going to do and try and get out of there. Yeah. So similar to that, 
Pintel and Rigetti. They seem to have that. So Elizabeth is able to curtail their attack with the common 18th century weapon known as a bed warmer. And we see some exaggerated performances in the comedy and all that. But now things are really getting serious. They're not like in these bumbling pirates anymore. Well, you know, not all the time anyways. And now they're actually an ominous threat. Rigetti jumps off the second story down to the floor below. Elizabeth. That's quite a jump. Well, it is quite a jump actually. Yeah. You could really hurt yourself you doing could that. You could if you didn't know what you were doing. Good thing they had a stuntman there. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty impressed with his jump. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't have. I wasn't necessarily going to mention it, but Kira Knightley mentioned how they got this stunt performer to actually do that, and so he he did the leap off that that balcony or from the top yeah. stairs there down below, and he was actually a Cirque du Soleil performer. Oh, really? So yeah, he's trained in doing that. Did kind he do of stuff. flips on the way down? <laughs> I don't think so. Probably. Wouldn't have quite gone so well if he'd done flips. <laughs> you know, it probably would have fit in, though, maybe, because you see the proverbial swan dive in this movie. Like, you know, you're going to dive and you have to do a swan dive whenever you do that. So maybe it would have worked. <laughs> so they're not, like I say, in the bumbling pirates, and they really are. You know, we see Rigetti jump off, and uh, Pintel follows right behind her, and they really do have her trapped and are getting down to business and you know we think that they're going to keep her from escaping so they can be adept at times they're not just always the bumbling buffoons that yeah they want us to think or at least that we see sometimes they know what they're doing exactly then they chase her to that dining room area and they get in and then we kind of see some oh what before that actually they you they hit the bottom of the stairs there she's trapped uh-huh. but then the cannonball comes through the house and that's how she gets away. Exactly. With that cannonball coming through the house. I know. I have some stuff on the cannonball, but I was just going to finish that one point and then we can circle back to it. Okay. You're going out of order then, but okay. No, but it was it was right on the whole Pintel and Rigetti thing that right. is what I was kind of centering on. And so right when they're in that dining room after the cannonball that Heather wants to stick to... Yeah, you know, it's weird. Sometimes she really wants to stick to that and other times she's just butterflying it. That's because every time I go and jump around... You could, you'd say, wait, we're jumping around. Heather's being a butterfly. Now you're being the butterfly. Yeah, but this isn't really being a butterfly. This is still continuing on the Pintel Rigetti track. Okay. So I was just finishing up that when they're in the dining room and Pintel is saying, hey, you know, come out. Come here, puppy. Yeah, you know, we're not going to hurt you. And then Rigetti's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, he's all, eh? And he gets the look from Pintel. And we can, yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. But he does that kind of look right on the nose. I think he's actually touching his nose. It's like, oh, you're right. You're right on the nose. And so it really is not necessarily Pintel and Rigetti. I just wanted to throw in, I looked up what right on the nose was. <laughs> so it really has nothing to do with the movie. So yeah, we just had that whole thing, which was really for me just to say, yeah, I looked up what right on the nose was. And that's that whole scene. And so holding the forefinger and touching the thumb meant good performance. Touching the nose signaled perfect timing. And is now something that's transformed a little bit to right on the nose or, yeah, you, you got it just right. And so apparently this actually had a radio origin, which is using hand signals so as not to disrupt the broadcast. So it kind of came about during the radio thing. So I don't really think Pintel and Rigetti are necessarily inventors like Jack Sparrow is of, you know, amusement rides and sayings and quips and things like that. So I think that maybe he just happened to, to do that and he didn't really invent a radio broadcast signal performance. I wasn't, I didn't really get right on the nose type of thing. I know he held his hand up, but I for, I got more of a shush really? type. Like, oh, it's a, I better be quiet because 
No. You're I... you're lying to her basically. So, because <laughs> oh, he smiles and just, you know. So that's what I got out of it. Oh, but... I didn't get that at all because I, yeah. I thought it was like, you're right. He, so he touches it like, oh, you're lying to her. You're oh, right. I got Boom. the shh. Not a shush. It's like, oh, right I on the nose. Now I got it. He goes, yeah, that's it. I'm the idiot. Right on the nose. Yeah. That's how I took it. Yeah, I got the more, oh, I better be quiet because you're you're lying to her and I'm going to give it away. No, you know? yeah. So he, because he yeah. smiles and stuff, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now we're on the same page is basically what he was like, okay. He goes, I, I kind of take it as too is, oh, you're not insane. We really are going <laughs> to, you know, take her or hurt her or whatever we need to do to get what we need. Yeah. So that was a long-winded thing that you caused. I'm just going to blame it all on you. Me thinks that you caused us to have a long-winded tangent for something I was just going to say, that this was just a simple radio hand signal that was developed when radio came about, you know. But now look what you did. Yeah. So let's move on to the cannonball. Heather wants to see the cannonball. So the cannonball, again, rips through the house. And this allows Elizabeth's escape, as it takes out a pirate, by the way. <laughs> but she notices the chandelier's going to fall. But how'd she know that the chandelier was going to fall? Yeah, that's a good question. I had that. I, I wondered that as well. I know you mentioned something about chandeliers and that back in that day, you had to you actually had to un, to lower them. Yeah, so they and were tied to... because of candles. Yeah, they were basically tied to a rope or something that you could hand lower every night so that you could light or extinguish the candles. And so what I'm thinking is is that the the rope was somehow tied to the post or somewhere near that area that maybe the cannonball kind of did that severed or at least started to sever that that rope so they knew it was unraveling and going to release the chandelier. Okay. You know that typical thing in movies when the rope is is splintered yeah. and it starts to untwist and you know okay it's going to break it's going to break so I think I think that's what this scene is but they did it without actually having to show the proverbial rope breaking. Right. So that's what it is. They took this scene that we see in 100 movies when you know that something's going to break and you know oh my god the hero's going to fall we see the rope he's got to get out of there just in time. They did that whole scene but they turned it on its head because they didn't show us the rope. Yeah. If they had, you know, so they didn't need to. The cannonball blasts through, and I think that it's somehow tied to that or near there, and it caused that rope to do that spinny thing, and then the strands are spinning, and then it's going to finally break. Okay. And then Elizabeth gets away. Yeah, she kind of gets a head start away from them here. Yeah. It gives her it gives her a little bit of head start. Well, they're all just looking like, Holy Jesus, did yeah. you just see that? That guy got hammered by <laughs> Yeah. <that. laughs> like, he's stealing all this stuff, ready to leave, and boom. Yeah. <laughs> the cannonball takes him out. I really like this cannonball thing for some reason. And it gets back to our icebreaker when Jay Wolpert was talking about his three swashbuckler film genres or categories. In Rollicking High Adventure is where we are with this movie, and the cannonball firing from the barrel of a cannon on the Black Pearl from the harbor to the Swan Mansion, through the post, and pummels this pirate with all his stolen goods, or his booty, right in the stomach. And then it sends him through the door. This just, I don't know, just speaks rollicking high adventure. Though. Yeah, it does, actually. So it's its like on the verge of having that comedy 
because there's really nothing. I guess it's not necessarily funny somebody taking a cannonball to the stomach. <laughs> but it was. <laughs> but then it was. And so it was kind of like a, it wasn't really like this overt laugh out loud thing. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And actually what I'm thinking of, and I thought I had it somewhere in my notes, but that particular scene, you know, what is the first thing you think of when you when somebody takes a cannonball to the stomach? Oh my God, you got to get out more. There's like that old timey footage of that big guy that gets blasted by the cannonball. It's like in slow motion. It's like boom, 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 boom. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing I think of. And that just fell flat because Heather doesn't know any of this. <laughs> Heather needs like a reference Rolodex. That way she could flip That'd through them pretty huge. Good. It would be huge. It would be huge. <laughs> I was listening to Gore Verbinski talk about this scene, and he was laughing at how the special effects crew arranged the first take, and it was a little underwhelming. Apparently, he even described it as a ready. It just <laughs> just like petered out. It was like a, a tiny little explosion. That he's like, can't we do better than that? You know, it's like this big, big swashbuckler, and then you have a. It just you know <laughs> peters out. So they added more primer cord in which power can depend on how and how much you add or wrap it. And primer or detonating cord is actually a thin, flexible plastic tube that's usually filled with pentaerythritol tetranitrate. Yeah? yeah? Say that twice or 10 times fast. Pentaerythritol tetranitrate. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it at that. We'll call it PETN for short. And with the PETN exploding at a rate of approximately 6,400 meters per second, any common length of detonation cord appears to explode instantaneously. And so it is this high-speed fuse which explodes rather than burns and is used to create you know, the exploding post effect here, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So how much of this cord you wrap around and then place in there to detonate you know, can really increase the power? Well... On the second attempt, and that they didn't didn't want to have another failed, you know, happen, and you know they didn't want to disappoint Gore, so added a smidge more than maybe what you'd want to call it, and it sent a miniature shockwave, a miniature shockwave, miniature, and moved everyone in the room, and it also sent a board flying that hit Gore in the head. So challenge accepted, they said. So that's why you get the pretty Jeez. cool explosion that happens there. It's pretty the post just really gets obliterated. It's well, they cool. they all look over before the cannonball actually hits the house. That's right. So you somehow know, everybody they, you looks over. Line, you must be able to hear that hear scream it. coming. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a you know a certain way that it that it sounds. Yeah, it's like the Doppler effect happening. <laughs> hits the ear right, and you know that something's coming. Since we're talking about cannons, this just opened up a cannon worms for me. Yeah, I had to do it. A typical broadside of a Royal Navy ship of the 18th century could be fired two or three times in approximately five minutes, depending on the training of the crew. So a well-trained crew, one being essential to the simple yet detailed process of preparing to fire, could actually make that happen two to three times in five minutes. The British Admiralty did not see it fit to provide actually additional powder to captains who trained their crews, generally only allowing one-third of the powder loaded onto a ship to be fired in the first six months of a typical voyage, unless there were some hostile actions that were coming up. Essentially, they just did dry runs most of the time, from what I was reading. They would pretend to you know, do all the loading procedure and do all the stuff and bring the cannons in and out, but not actually lo- you know, really load or fire it with the real stuff. Huh. Just because it was expensive. But according to some of the sources I read, some captains that were maybe well-to-do... You know, because a lot of these British officer positions were were captained or helmed by those that had wealth or were from wealthy families. 
some of those captains would actually purchase powder and stuff for training purposes just so that the crew would be prepared and actually have target practice on board a ship and, and actually firing real cannons, not just when something ha- bad happens. So they'd have at least something to go by. Yeah. And then, of course, we can't leave out primitive cannons, which actually date back to 200 B.C., but battlefield use was first reported on January 28, 1132, was really the first battlefield cannon. And the weapon was used during the Hundred Years' War, as well as aboard ships as early as 1250. And by 1380, cannons mounted on wheels had been deployed. So cannons have now entered the scene. So they're mounted on wheels. That must be why they pop in when they're oh, shot. Oh, well, they're saying also cannons for that were mounted on wheels that were in battlefields. So you just so if you see old pictures of the Civil War movies or even Revolutionary War movies, you yeah. see that they're wheeling cannons on or dragging cannons behind horses and things like that. So those were on wheels. But oh, in the okay. ships, you do see that they do have some they, small wooden wheels on them because they have to be able to bounce back. After it fires, you're getting into, for every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So you have to have that. And so there was a, a, a stop mechanism to prevent the cannon just from, you know. You couldn't have a bunch of these guys at, in the deck and all these little doors opening with cannons. And these cannons, <laughs> after, actually, they're firing just all and scrambled into the center of the ship. They got to get everybody get it back into position. It'd be like bumper cars. So they did have like a track or something to stop them from going. You have to make sure you're really out of the way then. Yeah. You have like the... The Mulroy and Murtaugh like, hey, I wonder what's going on down below. And then they just yeah. crumbled by, you know, cannons that are milling about. So, yeah, that, <laughs> that's not a good thing. Once the Middle Ages end and getting back to our history, everybody history 101, cannons became larger and larger and more common than ever before. They made weapons such as siege towers and the like obsolete and castles less important, actually, with cannons because they could just obliterate the side of oh. those things. And the fort started featuring cannon batteries as a main defense during the Renaissance. And cannons are defined by their pound rating, which is the weight of a single solid iron shot fired by that bore of a cannon. Common types range from 42 pounders, 32 pounders, and then goes down, say, to 6 pounders or various smaller calibers. So where I was going with all that, I know we're saving some of our Black Pearl talk when we actually step foot aboard the ship coming up here shortly. Maybe next week or so. But the ship, the Black Pearl, did actually sport 12-pound cannons. So they were using a 12-pound shot. And according to information I found, the 12-pounder had a maximum range of 1,480 meters when shot from a 5-degree angle of elevation. So roughly one mile. Based on what I'm seeing here, it looks like we need to add maybe a greater degree of elevation to reach the Swan Mansion or more powder or something to actually make this cannonball go that far. Because it really does seem like a long distance from the harbor. It definitely looks like more than one mile if you were to, to do yeah. that. And maybe it's by the way the crow, but I don't know. That seems definitely like further than one mile. So right. I know we've already gone on maybe way too much about the history right now. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to add this to my list of physics defined stunts for the movie, like I did with the Will Turner catapulting up into the rafters thing. Or maybe if everyone wants, we can break out the equations and have like an on air math session. And if so, then I, I'll just prepare for everybody to take a quick nap. But I'm just thinking that it just doesn't make sense necessarily that the cannon that would actually, that cannonball would be able to go from the harbor all the way up. And then it's also traveling at like a horizontal line. Yeah, I was kind of well. wondering how it traveled that far. Yeah. You know, just as it doesn't, yeah. So like Movie you, magic. Exactly. So like usual, I take the robust roundabout version of canon history to get to the full point of, <laughs> I'm not sure that the canon could actually <laughs> come in at that angle and make that happen. That That's it. Yeah. 
another that's another your... well done giant tangent there scott that's 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 what you do though that is what i do <laughs> <laughs> so are we in the dining room i think we're in the dining room awesome <laughs> everybody's probably excited they're like oh my god with the cannon talk man <laughs> So, and then it's probably just haphazard anyway. So people are going to be. God, he, got, he screwed all of that up. <laughs> yes, yeah, send your stuff to me, and I'll address it. Dang it! At least it's not me this time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we got to help educate that guy. <laughs> so why didn't Pantello Rigatti think that Elizabeth went out the window? Because the window's open. They kind of see the window open. The air's blowing. The wind is blowing in it and stuff. So why didn't they think she... You would think that would be the obvious place she would go. They did think that at first. And you can see that they kind of flinch that direction. And then with their half a brain that they share, <laughs> it actually went to work this time. And I think maybe because Pintel, he's, I think, is a bit smarter than Rigotti. Yeah. Or Rigetti. Rigetti, Rigotti. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that he saw that this is an obvious trick. She's still here. Because he fl- they flinched towards that, like, oh my God, she got out the window. But then he's like, wait. You know, She's and then that's when he the really window. says, you know, I know you're here, pop it. Yeah. So that's what happens. And we talked about it this time is that they can be adept sometimes and know what they're doing. And other times there's a little bit of comedy in there and there may be some buffoons or something. But they actually did make that connection. Like, okay, she just really tricked us. Yeah. It's probably from experience. <laughs> Maybe. The, you know, how many raids and stuff they've been on before and, and how many towns and that they've sacked and houses that they've looted that they probably go okay that this person now they're faking us we fell for this way too many times (laughs) fool us 600 times you know shame on us and so they finally this is the time that they actually go wait a second no we've always gone out the window after him we've never found him (laughs) so this is that first time that they did it and speaking of pop it pop it yeah i mentioned pop it and that's something that's you can call me pop it that's okay no what was that term that i was going to call you I can't remember what it was, and then I realized that I shouldn't do that. I can't oh, remember I'm that term. I'm drawing a blank, yeah. I just seen it yesterday. Yeah, it's when Jack Sparrow is is talking to Will yeah. Smith about, you need to find yourself a girl mate. Strumpet. The strumpet, yeah. So, good thing I didn't call so you strumpet. don't call me strumpet. You could call me poppet. Uh, I don't know if I want to. I really like the sound of strumpet. It's I just like poppet. <laughs> well. Poppet's much nicer. <laughs> it is much nicer, and I definitely don't want to be doing that over the air calling you strumpet. No. But in, in don't even call me that. Not over the air. Uh, I can't promise that. Anyways, poppet is in like an endearingly sweet or pretty child, and it's often used as an affectionate form to address somebody or at least a woman. Mm-hmm. And its origin is late Middle English, and that for all practical purposes is referencing a puppet. It's that's really the most basic explanation. It's, it's from like a Latin derivation. So oh okay. So there you go. Just a well, nice, sweet here, little puppet. term. Yeah. So it didn't fool puppet. us this time like Jack did with Strumpet. We actually go, okay, Poppet is what we think it is. Here, it is a nice, a nice term. But that's all I got. We really much, we pretty much ended there, as I said, yeah. uh, with them. And so I think we're getting into some of the, some additional, the cool stuff. And when they actually find or maybe find Elizabeth in the room, we'll have to wait and find out. Yes. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 35 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Wander on over to our Facebook page. And heck, while you're there, give us a like. Or go to blackpearlminute.com for additional details on our contest. Remember, it's simple. Just leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing fancy. Just a short, 
sweet, hey, we like the show. It's good enough. And then shoot us an email right after you do that so we can match up a username and an email. Definitely let us know what your username is in the email. <laughs> yeah. So, and so we have that heads up in a contact email. Not going to spam you or anything like that. It's strictly just for the contest. We'll do a random drawing after a couple of weeks and we'll announce it on the show and then we'll post the details to you to Facebook and stuff. And then that way we can let everybody know and we'll get you your goods. So check it out on Facebook. It has a picture of the stuff and the little Pirates of the Caribbean package, what you get. But it's some cool stuff like a movie, some pop vinyl figures, a semi-scale replica, not really quite to scale, Aztec medallion. It's not gold. We'd keep that one for ourselves. Yep. Oh, I wear that one every day. Yeah. So go do that. Have some fun. And your reviews actually help us with the show get more people listening and to find us. And so we're both winners. So thanks a lot. And until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now give me my grog. Maybe we need to have a contest of, you know, Heather in her grog. For joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.